This month's Where Did the Road Go is brought to you by three amazing people. Super Inframan, Allison Cook, and 36 Dingo. If you want to become a patron or a sponsor, go to wheredidtheroadgo.com. And now our show. Transmission start. Welcome to Where Did the Road Go? Join us as we wander off the path and explore lost history, consciousness, the paranormal, unexplained mysteries, alternative thought, and much more. We are present on the web at wheredidtheroadgo.com. Now here is your host, Soraya. Welcome to this edition of Where Did the Road Go? And tonight I have back on the show, Mr. Jeremy Vaney. Why, hello everyone. <laughs> and we've determined this is the only the second time you've been on. I've been on your show, so it feels like you've been on more. Oh, yeah, maybe that's why. But you can always have me on more. I could. Uh, I'm, I'm relatively cheap to get as a guest. <laughs> and you have a new book, Aliens. Yes. Aliens, the first and final disclosure. And, uh, you know, I'm going to leave it to you. Why why don't you give people an overview of what this book is about? Uh, You see, I write these things down so I don't have to uh, ever remember them. Um, It is essentially, uh, there's been an influx of people in ufology and paranormal studies broadly, but ufology specifically since uh, 2017, since the New York Times and I believe New Yorker articles that sort of brought UFOs into UAP and made them mainstream and cool again. But those people, unfortunately, have some baggage, which is that they don't know about high strangeness uh, studies and theories. And so it sort of made the issue another flatland. You know, this has to be either aliens or nothing. Uh, We have to petition the government for full disclosure of those aliens or nothing. And so forth. And so I decide I can't fight the fever. I'm going to go back to my roots, stop calling myself an experiencer of high strangeness and start calling myself uh, an alien abductee again and see how long it takes for me to convince myself and the reader that, in fact, not only am I not an alien abductee, there's no such thing. Yeah. yeah and it's... and uh, so the beginning of the book is kind of it's a bit of a comic roast on both skeptics and Uh, experiencers and ufology at large. And then it sort of walks you into what the depth of this phenomenon looks like. It's about 80% snark. (laughs) Fair. (laughs) And uh, your points are very well made, actually. Thank you. Uh, I I found myself agreeing with a lot of what you had to say. Um, And I think people listening to this show regularly probably will too. Um, Because you're, you're, you make a lot of good arguments for why the, even thinking about this stuff as extraterrestrial doesn't make sense. Right. Um, you know, you, you, you also, <laughs> I've always been like, you have that shift from extraterrestrial to interdimensional mm-hmm. and I've always been like, so cool. You've like, it's an interesting idea, but you've really just replaced one mystery with another. Right. Like we don't know where there's life out there or how they would get here. And we don't even know if there are other dimensions, much less how life would come from there to here. Yeah. I mean, portals, of course, but. Right. So my feeling on that is I think it is just right. Putting another slab of paint on the same old costume to say interdimensional, not alien. So but what I tried to do in this book and in my last book is build the case for interdimensionality, but not in that way. Yeah. In something that is 
far more interrelated and in fact is us, even though it is autonomous from us, that we share the same dimensions. And so I think by the end of the book, I'm not just whining about ufology. I'm not, I'm not, you know, just poo-pooing this and that, but I'm also trying to give another theory to chew over. And it doesn't really matter to me whether ultimately the theory is correct or not. Um, it just goes to show what I mean by uh, what depth looks like when we think about this stuff. I think that's more important um, than whether it's true or not, is to get us thinking differently and, uh, I would say, better <laughs> about this stuff, and then maybe we'll all come to it together, whatever the reality is. Like like Greg Bishop likes to say, find better questions to ask. Yeah, find well, find better questions to ask, but also dig deeper into yourself to find them. Yeah. Like, yeah. where do we look for better questions? And uh, honestly, I think it's up to experiencers to do that more so than other people. I mean, everyone's of course fine to do it. And maybe I'm wrong about this too, but it seems to me that, you know, as an experiencer, it's kind of our job to articulate this stuff. And if we're failing that <laughs> we're failing ourselves first, but then we're also failing um, the portion of society that engages with this to begin with. And then there's, I, I wrote down skeptics versus debunkers, but I don't fully remember what you wrote about it. Skeptics versus debunkers. Yeah, the difference. Oh, well, that it's important to be, you know, we've all heard the old adage, it's important to be skeptically minded, but not a debunker. I mean, the difference is you've got to have discernment. I mean, the one thing that that people in ufology and even alleged experiencers um, seem to be on the same page with is we can't have judgments because if you make a judgment, then that means someone might be judging you and that's scary. Well, mm. then don't talk about this stuff. Don't put yourself out there that way because judgments are coming, folks. But no, you should have a level of discernment because, for instance, synchronicity. People say they don't believe in coincidences. Well, if you don't believe in coincidences, then synchronicities have no meaning when you find them because you find them everywhere. Mm. Nothing is a coincidence. And so it just is self-negating. And so you have to have discernment in order to have meaning. On the other hand, if you're a debunker, none of it has any meaning for you at all. And your meaning is that the, you know, you're a materialist, you're a reductionist, you're probably a humanist. And you know those are your religious ideals, even though you don't frame it that way. That's right. what they are. And so you are defending and protecting those. And oh, by the way, most of those debunkers love to be the smartest person in the room, which uh, they aren't. <laughs> so, you know, don't be a debunker, but certainly be skeptical. Yes. Yeah, I would agree with that. Plus skeptics. I mean, the whole concept of skepticism is to ask questions and not just accept things. Yeah. And to me, debunkers have, have come to the table with their conclusions and they're just going to force you know the data into it. Right. And and they they're so lazy that like they don't even need to do that half the time. Like, I, I think I used an example of, you know, in the old days of when the beginning of crop circle research, whatever you ultimately believe crop circles are in the beginning, you know, debunkers were willing to say it was hedgehogs <laughs> running in a circle. I creating these things. that. So that data does not fit, right? Like, so it's just literally anything to, you know, earmuffs and go, la, 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 I can't hear you. This, there has to be a prosaic explanation. Well, maybe there is, but that ain't it. And so why would you put that forward unless, like you said, you're leading with your belief? Yeah. The, uh, and, and, and even when the, those two guys came out and said, oh, we made all these crop circles, I'm going, there's like crop circles popping up all over the UK in one night. Right. And we're supposed to believe these two guys, like what, <laughs> teleported and made all these crop circles? Yes. Two, two elderly drunks. <laughs> yeah. 
And then even when they asked them, well, what, what gave you the idea? Oh, we used to have crop circles in, in you know, in Australia where we came from. Huh, so, I so, didn't know that part. Yeah. Yeah. Because they were, uh, they all happened in the swamps and stuff. And I forget exactly what they're called. They're not called crop circles, but they're, they're, they're the same thing. They're the interweaving of, of crops and it happens down in Australia and some of the wetlands. So they saw that and supposedly brought to England and were emulating. It's like, so you're saying that a real phenomena that does what you're doing is what inspired you. But the news just kind of skipped over that part. Yeah, well, and wouldn't it be interesting if there was a phenomenon in Australia that uh, that they legit brought over to the UK? Yeah. <laughs> the phenomenon was like, oh, it seems to be catching on. Let's go there. <laughs> <laughs> And then you talk talk to some of the people who make the crop circles, and they have all these high strangeness experiences, and it's like, yeah. okay, what's going on there? Right. Well, uh, I think I talked about this recently. Colin Andrews, sort of my favorite bit that he has talked about is the father-son team that had plotted out, I think it was a big Mayan uh, art construct that they were going to make in a crop field. If I'm wrong about that, it was definitely a big sort of intricate thing that they were going to do to create an art formation in the you know, one of the crops. And the father got sick, so they never did it. But the next day, it appeared there anyway. And they hadn't told anyone that they were going to do that. Huh. So yeah, done, done, done. <laughs> I, th- I think it was Colin Andrews, too, who was writing about how, like, this one guy woke up one day and went, I know what I'm going to do. And he went out and made this design. And somebody else had the same experience and made a design, like, on the other side of the field. And the next day they looked and went, we just made one big design without even knowing the other was there. Yeah. So this should tell you something, folks. One, it ain't aliens. Right. <laughs> Uh, two, it's much more intimately connected with us, and it involves everyone from the supposed hoaxer to um, to even just the witness. I mean, Colin Andrews and Pat Delgado famously uh, brought, I think it was a BBC uh, team out into a field one fine midnight and heard something as if it were landing, didn't see it, but heard it sort of whirring around them. And then Pat Delgado got sort of drawn into the crops, like to the extent that that Colin Andrews had to yank on him and do a tug of war with an invisible energy that was pulling him into the corn, essentially. Like, huh. you know, this is uh, this is this is Crazyville we're talking about, <laughs> and it's intimately connected with everybody. Yeah, yeah, and the, you know, and I, I believe you said something very similar to something I've said before, which is that. Like people, you know, they're fascinated with UFOs, Bigfoot, all this stuff, but only if it fits into a neat box. Like people need some sort of security. Yes. And if well, you if you throw it out there like, okay, this is all interconnected and it's really weird and we have no real concept to explain it, a lot of people don't want to hear that. Yeah. I mean, I think um, we're not, at least in Western civilization, we're not geared to engage mystery with a capital M, something that may be completely unknowable. We are, you know, we will engage with unknowns and then we get to be the ones in control who discover the answer, right? Like that we're all about. But this idea of an unknowable is just sacrosanct, uh, unfortunately, to our society. And so when the unknowable emerges, <laughs> it says boogada boogada boo, uh, we tend to run scared and that takes the form of answering it so that it's no longer unknowable. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and it, and it makes it safe. Yep. You know, it's like, you know, the, the, you talk and hear about, you know, the, the theory that if, uh, if extraterrestrial, an extraterrestrial presence was announced, you know, like religious people would be all upset or these people would be all upset. 
But it's, I think as long as, you know, the concept is there, it's fine. As long as they can understand yeah. it, it's not, you know, they're not, no one's really going to be that upset. Right. But, you know, who, I would argue, and I guess I do argue in the book, that the disclosure advocate, for one, uh, would be really upset. <laughs> like we always think it's going to be the other person because when we imagine an answer, we imagine uh, that we are sort of the heroes of our imagining. And so it's, you know, I mean, just think about this with anything else in your life where like you've had an experience that was painful or meaningful or something to you and you tell it to people and they go, well, if that was me, I would have done this. And it's like, right, in your fantasy, that's what you would have done. Right. In reality, you'd be crying or upset or in love or whatever the, um, the real emotion is of the situation. And so it is with this stuff. There is no, you know, you yell and scream and rant and rave at your government and then they tell you, yeah, aliens are here or whatever. And then you're unfazed by that. That, that doesn't happen. And you can see that. Well, you can see that in the ways that we deny other things like people who denied the pandemic, people who, denied global warming. Um, you know, there's yeah. all sorts of yeah, yeah. ways in which we um, don't want to deal with the, the, the question of essentially our own mortality, really. And I, and I think that's exactly what would happen if, if the government announced, hey, aliens are here, you would have a bunch of people going, no, they're not. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's that too. <laughs> I mean, we already do, we, yeah. right? Like to, to some extent, it's at least common wisdom. And that does not mean that it is true. But it is common wisdom that the government has already or the military has already said, yeah, there there are some UFOs and we don't know what they are. And and so we extrapolate from that one. They're being honest in two aliens. Right. Um, this, this one time they're being honest. Right. But then you, you just as soon as you have that, you've got someone like, um, you know, Niels deGrasse Dyson to go on TV and tell you how wrong you are. And but don't worry, um, you know, math is a miracle, too. So go study math, kid. <laughs> Uh, so the um, uh, there was something about disclosure in particular I wanted to mention. Uh, well, first of all, why do you think what you you talk about in the book why they changed it from UFO to UAP? You want to get into that uh, a little? Sure. I mean, why do you think <laughs> <laughs> they want to they want to control it? But also, I think I mean this is just my own thinking on this, right. and it's sort of backed up by things that they have done since. Uh, that a war on terror is pretty open-ended. A war on drugs is kind of open-ended. Hey, you know what would be super open-ended and get you a ton of funding for anything you want in the military? Um, a war on phenomena. <laughs> you know, like we've got to constantly protect ourselves from unidentified phenomena. And it just so happens that around the time that we have these submersible UAP coming in and out of the water and, you know, <laughs> playing with our hundred billion dollar, you know, Navy vessels or whatever, making them look like a ship of fools. Uh, just so happens that we are looking into and want uh, funding for um, submersible uh, Navy vessels for drones, for submersible drones, our own technology. Yeah. So one is mirroring the other. And I don't think that's trickster theory. I think that's uh, by by <laughs> someone's design in the military. That's just what makes sense to me. Well, now that now they said they're not going to release anything else. Right. Well, wait a minute. Did they release that? I mean, I thought I thought like somebody Elizondo or somebody uh, sneaked that out to people. <laughs> Liberated um, and then it. They, and then they denied it for a while. And then eventually they said, yeah, OK, it's real. <laughs> You know, and that's I'm, not really a release, is it? <laughs> <laughs> but you know, at the same time, like, like it's always been my argument with, uh, is it Lazar who had the bringing everyone out to area 51? It's like, okay, if you, if this was real, 
if you were really being shown alien technology and then you were telling people about it and bringing them out to the military base, you would be, you would, you would not be seen again. You know, I mean, yeah. The very fact well, that you're, right. you're going around talking about it says you're either a liar or this was disinfo that you fell for. Yeah. I mean, you know, Edward Snowden is uh, no longer with us in America right. for less. Could you imagine leaking the biggest secret of all time? <laughs> and then, of course, like the argument against it is, is well, but of course, because uh, if they were to prosecute him in any way that would be to admit that uh right that he was telling the truth but i'm pretty sure they could figure a way to just prosecute him um for something else yeah. <laughs> you know for like if they were to admit that yes bob lazar worked here and he's signed an nda and he's not supposed to disclose anything whether he's telling the truth or lying um i'm, I'm certain there are workarounds but for some reason not only was bob lazar able to walk free after this he was able to like deal in weapons, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. or is it weaponry or is it like chemicals that go into weapons? I Whatever think it's it chemicals. is, yeah, like something governmental in nature. Uh, it seems to me uh, very odd. Uh, the um, and then then he just pops back up after all this time with uh, Jeremy Corbell. <laughs> yes, yes. The uh, what is he like? The Vince McMahon now? Is he the new? <laughs> He's just like <laughs> Lazar needs a hand, a new handler, and it's Jeremy Corbell. Uh, I don't know. It's just it's the same old Carney Barkers in a new body. You know, it's like ufology yeah. has this the this certain bunch of archetypes, and they're like parasitic. Man, they just they attach to new people, but the archetypes go on in the same way. It's strange. Um, one of the things you talk about is the, the kind of the uselessness of cameras and all this stuff. And we've, we've addressed this before. I mean, if you, if you take a picture and it's a really good picture, well, then it's too good. And if you take a picture right. and it's a blurry, then it really doesn't matter. Cause it's just a blur. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now Jeff, but Rit also Jeff Ritzman I mean, had a couple of photos that he was convinced were legitimate, good photos. Uh -huh. And I, I don't, I don't like one of them. Like he, he went on to detail why he thought they were good. So, I mean, they do exist, but it doesn't mean anyone's, you know, like it doesn't still doesn't prove what it is or anything else. Well, it also, uh, is something that he had to go on and talk about because not enough people would agree that we could all go, my God, man, that's amazing. You, you should win, you know, whatever the Nobel prize for this. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like even in ufology, you can't get people to agree. And that's not anything against Jeff. That's against like other people who either want their own brass ring uh, and therefore ignore this stuff, or they just don't know what they're talking about and they love talking. Mm, true. And, and I uh, encountered this. I mean, I'll be talking about, I'm doing a Paratopia special. I don't know if it'll, I don't know when this is going to air, but it'll be Halloween. So maybe it'll be after this airs. I don't know. Should but, be. uh, so the centerpiece of it is something that happened to my wife and I. We live in Hawaii where there are no big cats, and yet we heard a cougar outside. Hmm. And it, it strikes me that, um, you know, a rich person could probably smuggle in an exotic animal. And when it escapes or gets too big and they let it go, that's kind of what happens. It seems like that's duh. Uh, but we tried to warn some community message boards. And we, you would think that we were reporting a UFO in the 1970s. I mean, these people were calling us drug addicts and crazy and hoaxers and, and all this stuff. And suddenly in Hawaii, there were a whole bunch of cougar experts who were like, you know, they don't sound the way you think they'd sound. You probably heard a peacock. <laughs> you know, like, 
things like that where it's like, no, no, dude, I know what it sounds like. That ain't it. <laughs> but yeah, people will just say anything to either be right or because they're afraid. I mean, that's another example. I had used big examples before of COVID and global warming. But this is another small example of people on an island uh, who would rather believe. Um, well, in fact, I had said, you know, if I reported a UFO to you guys, you'd be all over it. You'd be like, oh, that's great. And somebody actually responded. Yeah, that's because UFOs are real. <laughs> I mean, this is where we're living now, right? Like, <laughs> You so don't want to have to deal with a cougar on this island that we've got to be crazy. It's like <laughs> and hearing a peacock. Right, right. I mean, peacocks do sound pretty weird, but <laughs> yes, they do. But I've heard peacock. Uh, so did that ever get resolved? Did anyone ever find it? Um, nobody found it, but I, I mean, it very much is a UFO sighting. I, like it was first um, photographed in a blurry photo with a paw print, like a few weeks before we heard this, which is why we thought like, okay, it's not so outlandish. Um, and then there was security footage from the Monago hotel when some people from California tourists came running in and said, Hey, we just saw, we know what a mountain lion is cause we're from California and we just saw that walking across the street. And, but once again, it's like nighttime, it's security cam, it's front lit because you know, the outdoors is dark, but inside the hotel it's light. So what is it? It looks like a big cat of some sort, but like a UFO, it's like kind of hard to tell. Yeah. So I guess you and, you know, when brought to the attention of the moderator of uh, one of these message boards, his reaction was because this was on the news. His reaction was, oh, great. The news is in on the hoax, too. Everyone's trying to cash in on this hoax. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> oh, the lengths we go. And that that really is a, a, a microcosm of our world today. Yeah. Yeah. And of ufology. I mean, yeah. right down to like someone from the USDA contacting us in secrecy saying, hey, could you give me a call? I saw your message. You know, and him telling us, yeah, I believe you because somebody unreported uh, publicly. I know that someone on your street had seen this thing uh, last week. So, uh, you know, but no one's saying this publicly, probably because they don't want to scare tourists and all of that. But I mean, it really is like a microcosm of, of UFO stuff, but with like a real animal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, this is just how it plays out. So in other words, if you're a disclosure advocate and like you think you know how this is going to play out, all you just look around at how it really plays out in other ways. This might as well be an alien. COVID might as well be an alien. The, the, Our reactions to it are denial. Are, are, are you absolutely sure it was a, not an alien? <laughs> uh, as far as I know, well, <laughs> funny you should say that. God, I, I, I think it was in the yard a couple of days prior because... I went out, we have ducks, I went to put them away, and um, they were concerned about something along the berm, which is, if people don't know, is sort of like a raised lava wall with some trees and stuff around it. Uh, and they weren't paying any attention to me, which is odd. Usually they come get me to put them to bed. Um, but they were just concentrating on whatever was there. And I don't know what was there, but I could feel it. And I felt what it is like to be around wild animals that are looking at you mm. <laughs> through the brush and wild pigs and stuff like that. This wasn't that. And I came in and I immediately told my wife, Carol, you know, I got the sense that we're being watched and it had the feeling of proximity to aliens. And that got me to thinking, like, it probably was the cougar. Like, it was probably... And, like, how interesting is that? That essentially what it felt like to me was aliens. And what that feels like is there's a predator 
watching you and it doesn't belong there. It's not just like an, an, an animal on the island, like a boar or something that's staring at you. It's something that actually, quote unquote, doesn't belong there. And that was the feeling. And so I do think it's the cougar, but very similar to aliens. And how interesting is that? Hmm. So my, and when my, I say aliens, let's put air quotes on that yeah, because right. I, I, I don't endorse aliens. <laughs> so my, my favorite term in the entire book, scoff monkeys. <laughs> I knew it would grow on you. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't have to grow on me. It was there immediately. And I just started laughing. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Explain to people what scoff monkeys are. Uh, I God, I don't remember. I just remember. I remember what I wrote. I don't remember what it was about. <laughs> I just remember the joke of it being, you know, but I'm going to assume it's people who, uh, scoff. (laughs) (laughs) You're supposed to know what's in your own book. Come on. Uh, Yeah, I know. (laughs) I write to exercise my demons, not embrace them. Let's (laughs) let's see. Uh, it goes, do you have, do you have the book there? Uh, I'm sure on my computer. Because it's, it's the beginning of chapter two, which is entitled abductees. Don't bunk yourself. It's the first paragraph. And I'd rather you read it than me. Oh, well. There's nothing, nothing makes good radio quite like uh, dead air, but hold on. Let me find this beginning of chapter two. You say chapter two. Yes. Okay. Uh, Okay. So the first paragraph abductees, fellow travelers, hear me. It is time, time to stop bunking ourselves. This means dropping our insecurities to the extent that we stop giving debunkers and other scoff monkeys, the ammo or poop in the case of scoff monkeys, they need to dismiss us out of hand or fling poop at us in the case of scoff monkeys. That gets funnier the more you read it. Give it a day. So, yeah, uh, debunkers. <laughs> Just people who fling poo at you. I mean, again, this is people on the message board from my own community uh, just flinging crap at us um, because they don't. Well, it's throwing stones to hide your hand, as the Bible and or Michael Jackson's bad album might tell you. Yes, you're welcome. Deep cut. <laughs> So I want to I want to talk a little bit about the way you write your books because these are not it's it, it's almost stream of consciousness uh-huh. which is different than most UFO books. It's funny because you say that it it really isn't stream of consciousness. Although no, no but I don't know what the I'll, right word for it is. It's very conversational. Well, I mean, I'll take that. Yeah, I mean this is funny because Tyler Cokejohn, have you had him on? I I'm have sure not. No, okay. So nobody knows who I'm talking about, but Tyler Cokejohn. Uh, you'll just have to take my word for it. He exists. And um, he was one of the first people to read it. And he said, you know, I don't know that people in ufology are going to get this, that the the way that it's written, the, the tone and the conversational, you know, aspect to it. And I thought, like, well, they should. <laughs> like, what's wrong with them? So I went with it. But I do take it as kind of a compliment that it looks stream of consciousness because that means it doesn't look quite as crafted as it is. But actually, there's um, a chapter toward the middle end that is about um, John Mack uh, going on Oprah with a oh, couple yeah. of experiencers yeah. back in the 90s. And this is, I, you know, I think I'd seen it when it happened, but I just happened to watch a YouTube clip of it, re- you know, more recently. And Oprah's reaction to them and their response, the, 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 the guy's response, was what clicked with me and made me want to write this book. Like, that was actually the first thing that I wrote. Really? Yeah. Tell and pe- that was sort of... Tell people yeah, about that, because that is really interesting. Well, this is it. I mean... You know, the first and final disclosure is that you've got to disclose you to yourself. This is what we've been talking about in code here this whole time. And, you know, at some point, Oprah says, you know, 
I wish I were abducted. I'd love to have that experience, kind of. And this kid was like, no, because it, it's scary. You know, he talks about how terrifying it is, right? And yeah. she says, "What's so what is so terrifying? What is so horrifying? And essentially, he says uh, something to the effect of, it got me to question, like, what my life was about. Yeah. And I just thought, like... That answer is so it like that is so true. And yet it sounds like something that should not terrify you. But it's the existential crisis. It's the ontological shock. You know, whatever term you want to use, that's what it is. There's nothing necessarily horrifying going on. Although if you have hypnosis, you may retrieve something horrifying. Yes. But the fact that it's going on is what's horrifying because it's unexplainable and you are an explanation seeker. And so it upends all of reality, not just like what your culture told you, but what you fundamentally are as a sense of self. Because the sense of self is essentially a reaction against the fear of death. Like the second that you are born, there is this self-preservation, right, going on. Yeah. Yeah. physically that becomes a mental construct and this shatters that and i th i think that that's just a, a fascinatingly simple answer that got completely overlooked in the 90s oh yeah absolutely so i ran with it and and that's the thing like i probably saw that because back at that at that point i would go through the tv guide which was a thing that existed um, and anything that said, you know, on all those shows, like whether they were Oprah, Sally, Jesse, Raphael, Inside Edition, Unsolved Mysteries, if it said UFO or unexplained, you know, anything paranormal, I would record it. And I, you know, I ate up any of that stuff I could find. So I probably saw that episode of Oprah, but it wouldn't have clicked with me what he really meant back in 1990. Right. You know, it would have yeah. just it would have just seemed like, oh yeah, so now you know aliens exist, but that's that's not what he meant. And this gets to like for me at least, you know, just the being around them, like that proximity feeling, again, that is the thing that is that is um somewhere between scary and terrifying, depending on, you know, whether you see them or not, I suppose. It's not anything that they're actually doing, because what they're doing and what they can be emoting can be completely innocuous or even uh, kind. And it doesn't matter for me, at least the interpretation that, that my body has to it is terror. Right. And I've talked about this as like maybe an allergic reaction to them, or maybe it is the place in which we must engage them for whatever reason. But, you know, at the end of the day, could it just be good old fashioned? Um, everything we do is to not be annihilated. And that doesn't just mean physically, that means mentally as well. And this comes along and just shatters you. Yeah. And, uh, you talk about, uh, how did I phrase it in my question here? Oh, like people, you know, they'll go to a, a conference and they'll listen to someone talk about being, you know, terrified of these aliens and, or, you know, you, you listen to Whitley Strieber talk about how he feels like he was legitimately raped by these creatures. And then they'll go out and buy these comic t-shirts that say things like, you know, I was abducted and all I got is this stupid t-shirt. Right. And and they don't, you know, it's it's almost like they're they're self-negating this stuff. Yeah, and that goes for experiencers too because we have that yeah. that crap. <laughs> I don't particularly, but I mean I've been gifted things from the Roswell Museum and it's like you know, people don't know. But I mean, yeah, if you put it in terms of like you go to a, uh, a rape support group meeting, you know, you would never buy a T-shirt of the rapist and be like, you know, I got raped and all I got was this lousy T-shirt or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, you would never do that. But somehow it's OK with this. And um, I don't think people uh, put it in the same terms. And that's part of why. Yeah. And I wonder, too, if like the reason is because, you know, the reason that it's OK isn't just because we've been brainwashed by society. 
to to you know be accepting of bullying and abuse but if deep down as experiencers uh we know that this is that there is a disconnect between the terror and the reality of it and so it isn't like being raped even if we think we were like some part of us may know that does that yeah. make sense yeah kind of i mean it's kind of like when people say i feel as though i agreed to this yeah i can't i can't i don't know why i feel that well maybe there's some element of truth to that and maybe it's not necessarily that you agreed to it but that there is some part of you that understands that that the terror is a reaction that is in some ways misplaced, even if it's promoted by the phenomenon, <laughs> even if the phenomenon itself is going booga to booga to boo. <laughs> maybe that is to wake you up to the fact that there is no booga to booga to boo there, but you've got to get over yourself first. Yes. Yeah. And I and I think too. You know, putting that kind of humor into it uh, makes it more, again, it adds that security to it in a weird sort of way. It it, it makes it feel less harmful. Um, the book? No, 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 no. Like, like wearing- the situation. Like, like get it, getting a uh, t-shirt or something that kind of oh, jokes around about this stuff. Yeah. I mean, that's true too. It could be, I mean, people talk about that, right? Like humor is always used to, uh, right. Just for that purpose to sort of, I don't know if it's negate the, the, the scare, <laughs> the scariness of it or something, but yeah, I mean, it softens the blow for sure. Yeah. Although, but I feel like that's not why we get these things. I feel like most people buy these things in UFO world, um, because they've got a fetish of some sort. You know, and that's more just an, of an interest to the outside public. But for the experiencer, it's like this obsessive, you know, you're obsessively thinking about this stuff. You're obsessively, hopefully working on yourself or the problem of it and trying to figure it out in the way that like Jeff Ritzman would have. Mm -hmm. um, and so part of that is collecting it and having it around you. And and so not even necessarily the humor of the stuff, but just having this stuff tangible and around you makes it less scary and more approachable in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Makes it tangible, makes it gives it a, a something you can look at and go, OK, I'm not scared of that. But it doesn't really work because when you're face to face with the actuality, you're right back to being <laughs> terrified again. Right. But I think I think it works in the disconnect of it. Yes. Yes. Um, so you, you, you talk a little bit about re remote viewing in this. Uh -huh. And uh, it's actually something uh, one of my friends sent me that, that connects into all of this. Let me just find the comment. Uh, it was just a meme. And it said, oh, remember when the CIA released documents that were like, yo, we've had some guys do an astral projection. We're pretty sure they found some scary monsters in there. So we told them to stop. <laughs> and I laughed and he's like, and he said, uh, it's infuriating that the only time Psy research gets any kind of broad popular attention is as a joke. Mm, sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, although, honestly, that made me laugh at the, the, the meme. It was funny. Um, oh, yeah. But, I mean, what what are your thoughts on remote viewing? And, I mean, obviously, some of it's supposedly been accurate, but a lot of it, who the hell knows? Well, but what is it accurate about? I mean, that's... Is it more or less accurate than instrumentation? <laughs> right. <laughs> and know? less, I'm sure. I know. I See, this is the thing. Like, we get so enthralled with the fact that it's psychic that we may lose sight of the fact that it barely works. Right. Like, the fact that it works at all is supposed to be amazing. But then you look at, like, well, wait a minute. There are nature cultures who have this stuff just embedded in them. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like, yep. they just do this stuff. It's not something they need to rediscover. Uh, they're not baby stepping toward it the way we are and giggling about it. It's a fact. So, yeah. you know, to me, our sense of remote viewing is just 
us out of a nature, <laughs> us, us reconnecting in some weird way, you know, us uh, reconnecting. But the problem is there's also the element of imagination and you don't really know. I mean, there are certain things that I suppose you can verify, like you said. Yeah. But when it comes to like aliens or whatever, you don't know where that's coming from um, because you don't know what it is you're looking into. Are you really looking into outer space or are you looking into um, collective co- unconscious, uh, the imaginal realm? Like, what are you looking at? Yeah. And yeah. when I look at someone like I think it was Joe McMonagall, I could be wrong, but he wrote I think it was him who wrote a big book of predictions and like none of them came true. One of them was that we'd be eating ostrich meat, I think by now instead of cow, uh, you know, and mass like that didn't happen. So like you, I'm, I'm not saying he didn't see all of these things, but they certainly didn't come true. And then you can hide behind. Well, maybe in another timeline they did. Right. Okay. That doesn't help. <laughs> Talk about moving the goalpost. <laughs> So I don't know what people are seeing is the problem, but I do know that sometimes it is effective, but I know it's not as effective as like, you know, I mean, for the purposes of like um, psychic spying programs, probably not as effective as say a spy. (laughs) True, true. But so, and I think it was McMonagall who said that he could get answers to things before they asked, asked him, like he'd be driving to the place he was going to, to do this. And the, the, the stuff they wanted him to find out would already be in his head. And I think what they found over time is that if the remote viewer was given the information, like if they were shown their accuracy, like if they said, we want you to remote, remote view this thing, and then later they showed them the thing that they remote viewed, their accuracy was really high. Whereas if they never showed them the, the thing, the accuracy was really low. And McMonagall was speculating that it was just more a form of sigh, like, uh, you know, they're seeing it in the future and it's, they're picking it up in the past type of a thing. Okay. Let's see the work. <laughs> True. I mean, it sounds good, but where's the work? Show it to me. Cause I, I saw the ostrich meat work that you did and that didn't pan out. <laughs> well, I think this, this has been, but I mean, that, that makes sort of sense though. I mean, if, if it's not so much that they're remote viewing it, they're just seeing something they're being shown in the future. Right. I mean, that would make sense. I mean, let's back up here to what is time? Yes. One of my favorite questions. Yeah. I mean, if time isn't real in the way that we live it, if if there is just this one tapestry called now, if it's one giant moving picture, then sure, I guess, you know, would there not be a way to see somewhere else on the on the picture, which sounds great. But then people get into like, oh, well, then everything's predestined. And so what's the point of making choices and blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, because. You have no choice but to go through the motions, right. <laughs> whether it's true or not. So, right, get get to choosing. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I could see it. I could see it that way if there were a fixed future. But if there's a fixed future, then why did he see ostrich meat? Um, maybe he he that was part of his imagination. Can I mean, we call this episode "Why Did He See Ostrich Meat"? <laughs> <laughs> That's tempting. It is really tempting. <laughs> Um, I mean, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, he's not going to be able to predict things that he's not shown in the future per se, but like his, his brain can fill things in and it's hard to determine which one's which. Huh? Well, and that sounds a lot like hypnosis too, doesn't it? Yeah. Doesn't it? And that sounds a lot like reality. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Also that. We're constantly just filling stuff in, right? So, I mean, God, now you've just talked me into an added layer of problem, which is, I mean, with our normal senses, we have to fill things in. Uh, what happens psychically when you're out of your senses? Right. You have a better or worse or same sense of that. One wonders, this one, me. 
it's uh yeah because i mean what's if if you are legitimately out of your body you're not processing things through your brain so like like the 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 near-death experience the initial near-death experience where someone could see what's happening to them on the operating table and stuff their senses are different uh, everyone I've talked to has said that, that things seem more real than real. They 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 have a different way of viewing things. They're not necessarily seeing them through their eyes and and stuff. But yeah, what's filling in all of that? Yeah, you got me. Because <laughs> the brain, I, I, I don't, I don't know nothing. Because the brain <laughs> has stopped dude. working. They're dead, and they're going. Oh, look what's happening. You know. Right. So then the question of, um, well. I don't know. I was going to say the question of like, which comes first or, you know, does consciousness therefore transcend and include the body? And so, but even so, why would consciousness uh, left to its own raw devices without the body still see as if through the body, but just high definition version? Right, right. Or is Um, that... Or is that put back together when we come back into the body, you know, where, where the brain goes, what just happened? I got to try and make sense of this. That could be. Um, and then, I mean, what if that is the case? Boy, then you really don't know what's going on with a supposed abduction, because it seems to me that there's always something in them um, that calls attention to the fact that the literal thing that you believe you're experiencing can't be true. And so would that mean then that there are beings out there who understand all of this already and know how to manipulate it, for lack of a better word, or utilize it or have a science of it, whatever you want to call it, um, who can sort of make us see whatever and make us not just see it, but experience it um, because they're essentially telling us the story and then putting us back with it into our bodies, constructing the story and putting it into us uh, as us, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. And it's Almost impossible to answer. Yeah, but it's super important to recognize that these aren't just questions you ask when you get high. Like, these are the questions that you should just be asking. (laughs) Yes. You know what I mean? Yes, And not just like, oh, it's aliens from another planet who are here to do NAFTA and, you know, do cosmic UN stuff. I mean, that just ain't it. If that were it, because again, I mean, just think about this, if you want to think about this logically to Bunker. Um, that, that supposes that, that the Western mind is the top of a consciousness hierarchy yeah. and that any aliens that come here will, you know, they could, cause we always talk about their advanced, right? And what we always mean by that is they have advanced technology that our science just hasn't gotten to yet, but that means that they could explain it to us, right? Like there's no science that they couldn't explain to us. Um, but clearly they're not here to explain that to us. They talk in, I don't know, symbolic ways, immersive ways, a lifetime of it personally. Um, so what if there's something about our consciousness that isn't quite ready for prime time? And, you know, the, the question of like, could we be equals with them as we are? Could they shake hands with our president or whatever is just nonsensical. And we don't know it because we're us. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, we're selfish and we think like, oh, our self-centeredness is everything, you know, as the world crumbles around us. <laughs> it just it just doesn't it doesn't map out. And then when you look at nature cultures, they you know, even the ones who uh, talk about coming from the stars or that that sort of thing, they still don't have a concept for alien. This is this is the point of saying that there's no such thing as aliens here abducting us 
it isn't necessarily that there aren't beings from other planets or whatever. I don't happen to think there are here, but there could be, but they wouldn't be aliens. If we were natural, if we were living in our natural mind in the interconnectivity with Earth, as opposed to living on Earth and doing whatever we want here and living disconnected lives, uh, we would see that there is no such thing as alien. There would be an inclusivity. And then we could have the conversation about what this all is. But until we even get that far, get back to just, you know, being natural people, I, I don't understand how we can have anything other than a mentally ill delusional discussion. I also think that, I mean, we sort of just humanize all this stuff. Like, oh, well, they'd just be like us, but more advanced. Yeah. And they'd think <laughs> just like us, and but they'd just be more advanced. Yeah. I mean, to me, like the the humanizing, if you want to call it that aspect, at least of what I propose in the book, is that they are, in some sense, us, again, in another configuration of dimensions. So they're attached to us through the science and the math that I could pseudoscience my way into if I cared to. Uh, but I'd probably end up being wrong because I'm not a scientist. <laughs> so so instead, I just go with a wild, baseless theory that uh, there's more t more dimensions than than 3D. Right. And if there's four and five and six and eight and 10D that, that are invisible to us, perhaps there are beings living there. And perhaps some of those beings are so aware that they're aware of us here, too. And they need to wake us up because that's one waking oneself up. And that's why we would be important to speak to at all, uh, even if they don't, you know, care to. Well, especially this is why they don't care to care to engage with our sense of self, you know, our conscious sense of self. They seem to always engage in unconscious ways that bubble up to the surface and we have to contemplate and blah, blah, blah. Um I mean, there's a reason, in other words, that they aren't shaking hands with the president, that they aren't landing en masse. And it's not because the government isn't disclosing them. Uh, at the very least, it's because they aren't disclosing themselves in that way. And anytime our brain wraps around that, we turn it into a horror movie, yeah. right? Like yeah. there's got to be a horrible reason they're not doing this. Maybe there's just a very basic reason that our sense of self is not what's important to engage with, but us as a, a whole is important to nudge awake because um, what we call human nature is partial and we need to wake up to our whole sense of humanity. And then we can ask what the other is. Until we wake up to our full sense of humanity of what it is to be this being here on Earth, with Earth, um, it, it really is a, you know, it's a distraction to, to ask it before we do that part. So Laird Scranton, working with the, the Dogon teachings and stuff, uh, says that their their knowledge suggests that there are two universes. One is the one we inhabit, which has free will, but in what is it? Imperfect knowledge, but the ability to change. And the other universe, that's sort of the the connected universe to us, has perfect knowledge, but inability to change. So they can't affect any kind of change from where they are, but they have perfect knowledge. And these are the beings that are trying to communicate to us because we still have the ability to change. Okay. And I always thought that was an interesting concept because it's not, I mean, it's kind of what we're talking about. We're talking about beings who are, who are, let's say, have perfect knowledge. They, they can see all of this stuff, but they can't do anything uh, to affect anything. So they communicate hmm. with us because we can. Has Laird Scranton talked to the Go Dogon? No. Okay. Well, that's a problem. <laughs> Well, the the he's he's going off the people who spent decades with the Dogon. Yeah, I'll just say, I mean, I'm not saying that he is wrong or right, but I would just put a word of caution out there. Uh, indigenous people talking to, like, say, I don't know, white people, 
often uh, something gets lost in translation either on purpose or by accident. And I don't, I just, as a rule, I don't trust it anymore. <laughs> so the, uh, one of the interesting things with the Dogon is that uh, the people who initially studied them lived with them for, I don't know how long, years and years, and they finally were trusted with some of their inner knowledge. Okay. And then uh, these other people went in to reinvestigate this, spent like two weeks there and said, none of this stuff is true. They didn't tell us any of this stuff. They just made it all up. Huh. What do you make of that? Uh, they didn't trust them to tell them the, the knowledge. Right. Well, so they trusted the other people who then told everyone. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Whoops. Well, well let, let, so Laird's well, work- wait, wait, can I, can I put another, just put another like layer to this? Yeah. Um, which is, uh, something that my, my pal Teokas and ghost horse says, uh, who is a Lakota speaker who talks about, um, you know, that the Lakota are inclusive. And so, you know, a scientist may say, I'm right, you're wrong. But the Lakota would say, we're, you know, we're all explaining our own understanding. And so what you say about, for instance, evolution and the, you know, he talks to scientists about like, okay, you say you evolved from monkeys. We say we didn't. So maybe you did and maybe we didn't. Hmm. And they would be accepting of that. And a scientist would find that just obnoxious, right? Right. Maybe it's the same thing here. We're like, okay, uh, for the Dogon people, perhaps you're correct for you. <laughs> like, it would, wouldn't it be interesting if there is an element of living on Earth that we have just completely missed, which is like, Different locations not only produce different cultures and different languages and have different energies about them, but also create essentially mini worlds or mm. or are attached to even uh, perhaps even just locationally um, another world from different points so that something's, you know, in another part of the world will be true, but it won't be here. I mean, w we know that about like just regular physical things, right? Like certain plants and certain even colors of people and shapes of eyes and things like that grow differently depending on where you live in the world. Right. Does that happen in this subtle realm stuff that we're talking about or however you want to coin that? Is it true there and not here? Mm, it's an interesting thought experiment. Yeah. I mean, cause we want, you know, we, I mean, really to th ponder that is to just break your brain, which I hope is what happens. <laughs> <laughs> and then you can see what's there. That's not your brain. Right. right. Like we, we're constantly looking for truth or for, you know, this mystery or whatever. But it's like, how do you how do you approach that except with your own thought, which is of the past? Uh, well, you've got to somehow silence thought and, you know, maybe pondering stuff like that ends up being a cone of some sort that kind of silences you. Hmm, interesting. Like that, for instance. Yes, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> or not. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, well, I, I, I'm honestly doing Laird's work a disservice. It's actually very deep and very, uh, he does a good job. I, 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 I'm I, sure I'm just being a jerk because that's what I'm known for. <laughs> I like to go with character type, you know, I, 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 I don't, I just don't want to leave you with the impression that this was like a casual view and he just threw up an idea. He's, he's done a lot of very complex study on this stuff. Uh, including other cultures that were contemporary with the Dogon and finding connections between them, right. which is to me very interesting anyway. Sure. Um, oh, one of the things you talk about in here is the, the explanation for Rendlesham, which I don't think I was fully familiar with. I haven't read uh, Nick's book on it. So you want to explain? Nor have I. Huh? <laughs> if you read the footnotes, neither have I. Oh. Uh, well, yeah. No, Nick Redfern. Um, oh, that's right. 
I don't remember the name of the book, but uh, he recently published a book. I mean, the guy's like Stephen King. He publishes like eight books a year. Yeah. I don't know how he does this, but somehow he does. And one of them um, was on Rendlesham. What was it? Essentially, I think the crux is that he found documentation for, um, you know, an MK Ultra style. Uh, uh, I don't know. Mock up. I mean, not really a mock up, but like something that looked an awful lot like uh, um so th- an experiment that that sort of I don't know kind of mirrors what was going on there, but yep. from years ago, right? And so, so I mean, it wasn't directly connected, but it's like, oh, wait a minute, they were at least thinking about doing this type of stuff years ago as a sort of uh, psyop test on military people. Maybe they did it, and you know, then I get into like, and maybe they perfected it, and that's why we're you know seeing this UAP footage now, and 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 all of this. Maybe they figured out what they want to use it for, and you know, I'd say funding. Yeah. Is that basically what you were yes. talking about? Yeah. Uh, so the book came out in 2020. It's the Rendlesham Forest UFO Conspiracy: A Close Encounter Exposes a Top Secret Government Experiment. <laughs> yes, a very. Subtle title, if ever there was one. I wish Nick would just come out and say what he's writing about. Um, yeah, I mean, R- Rendlesham's one of those things that initially looked really solid and the more time goes on, the more it's like, okay, this is looking sketchier and sketchier. Well, it doesn't help when you've got like guys running around going, I got uh, ones and zeros and yeah. it's the code to yeah. Legend of Zelda or whatever. <laughs> Yeah, something like that. I mean, my God, talk about self-negating. This is like, you know who I would have loved to have talked about uh, that too early on is George Hansen. I wonder, because he has a superpower, the trickster theorist George Hansen, everyone. Uh, he has a superpower, which is he can pretty much point out who's going to go crazy in the fields of uh, paranormal research mm. and, and be correct. And I wonder if he looked at that case and said to himself, oh, yeah, in about 10 years, they're all going to be nuts. <laughs> Well, you know, also the the extensive like debriefing after that happened. Yeah, you know, it's kind of like that's a little suspicious. Yes, I, I mean, and to to what end is all of this? Like, what do they do? It's kind of sad to think about, but if you think about like how many military uh, prototypical craft there have been versus what has actually worked out, and then they've built, it's probably a huge ratio. Like all those kajillions of dollars that we give to the military. Probably go to prototypes that never see the light of day, just Probably. don't work out, but they keep trying. Is there something like that in the the psychotronics or the, you know, this sort of behavioral studies that they do upon their own military personnel where they're just doing stuff like this to see what will happen and then they never use it? Wouldn't that be sad? Uh, would it be really that surprising, though? It wouldn't be surprising, no. You know, I mean, it, it, it's all about influencing thought, and you know, obviously, this this was allowed to go public too, so there was there was some aspect of that as well, right? That's true. You know, and who knows how how long that's? I mean, that may still be going on to some degree. When when Witch McCall came up with the ones and zeros, maybe that was part of the whole thing. Let's <laughs> see what we can get people to believe. I hope so. You know, like that's the least cynical thing I can think of. <laughs> really, I just think he was like, "How can I make a movie about this?" I know. <laughs> and it they just so happened that when they, code. when they translated that binary, it pointed to all the different sacred areas on Earth, all the New Age hotspots. <laughs> right. There were all the speaking tour engagement spots, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Except for like High Brazil. <laughs> uh, right. But Sedona, I'm sure, was on there. I'm pretty sure, yeah. <laughs> so that was just... 
And and then you, you also talk about guys like Doty who just like have been doing this for years and people still listen. That to me, I mean, if anything is shocking anymore, that to me is the most shocking that you can literally come out and say, hey, you know what I'm famous for? I lie to you. That's what I'm famous for. Um, I may have even driven a man crazy with my lies. In fact, I lied uh, in an official capacity for the Air Force. I may be lying to you about that right now, but it happened. <laughs> Uh, I came out in a TV special and I lied about Gray's eating strawberry ice cream back in the eighties. I mean, I just keep lying to you decade after decade. And ufology's answer to that is, well, come on in. We'll pay you to lie to us some more. Yeah. And oh, by the way, we're the ones who, um, are better than the sheeple out there who don't believe in aliens and UFOs. We're on to it. We care about the truth. Come on in, Richard Doty. I, I just talk about Alice in Wonderland bizarre. That is it. It really is. Um, and the fact that he is so forthcoming about it. Yeah. Yeah. He literally, he literally is like, yeah, I'm that dude who lies to you and, and you may not be able to trust me now. Who knows? I mean, he was literally, I saw him on a show where they were like, well, why should we trust you? Well, you shouldn't yeah. is what he says. We should, well, okay, great. Then see ya. We're not going to air this. Bye. But, no, this is, but this is entertaining and that's all we care about. Yeah. That's all he cares about at this point. Probably. <laughs> probably. He's getting paid to probably a good money to come on some of these shows. God, I hope so. As I, I just make up stuff and lie and, you know. Yeah. According to his wiki page, I think last I knew he was a crossing guard somewhere. Huh? Yeah. That's probably also a lie. <laughs> He's uh, under really deep cover. <laughs> All right. Let's, let's take a quick break and we'll come right back with Jeremy Vaney. Check out where did the road go.com. You will find an archive of every show right back to the very first one that aired January 26, 2013. There's links to all of our social media, Discord, Facebook, the Facebook group, Twitter, YouTube. You can pick up merch at our store that is linked on the page. You can become a Patreon and get extra content every month for as little as $3 a month. You can leave a donation, go through blog entries, and you can contact us. If you have stories you'd like to share for a future listener stories episode, stories at wheredidtheroadgo.com is the place to send them. For general contact, it's contact at wheredidtheroadgo.com. And if you want to mail me something, you can do so at P.O. Box 444, Ovid, New York, 14521. I want to take a moment here to thank all of my Patreons and give a special shout out to those of you pledging $10 or more. Chuck Shutters, Leanne Cherry, Allison Cook, Super Inframan, 36 Dingo, CJ, Tim, Andrew Nichols, Matthew Sproul, Christine, a blue second gen MR2 drifting around a Japanese mountain, Patricia Gaiaquinta, Alex Whitcomb, American Rambler, Andrew Maines, Ann Witowski, Barbara Fisher, Beverly Williamson, Big Boy Limina, Charles Davis, Charles in Florida, Land of the Crazy and Communicable, Christopher Ernst, Craig Cicernos, Craig Parmenter, Diane B., MTK, Eric Todd, Jay, James Lattimore, James Lindsay, Jim Pyre, Joanna Rojas, John Bracken, Carla Mahoney, Kevin, Kevin Shrek, Cool Kitty, Kristen L., Laser Printer Jam, Lauren McLean, Linz Jackson K, Luke Osborne, MJ Armstrong, Jim and Sophie, Mark Brady, Matt in Delaware, Patricia W, Paul Jeffries, Philosopher of Mirrors, Ray Benedetto, Riker and Stark, Ron Dupre, Sam Sharon, Stacy Sherwood, Tactical Therapist, Taylor Bell, Thunderboy, Tyler Glimstead, Varosh K, Vincent Trewell, Walker, 
Will Gebhard, Will Powell, Ren Collier, Stephen D., Amber Hall, and Craig Sagastumi. Thank you all so very much. This show would not be what it is without all of you. You're listening to Where Did the Road Go? And I'm talking to Jeremy Vaney about his latest book, Aliens, The First and Final Disclosure. And uh, let's 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 talk about what I guess the 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 depth of this book is really about. So if any people should you know if people are expecting this to be all about physical disclosure and military stuff, I mean you talk about it, but you you're you're debunking it, I guess you could say. Yeah. And what you're really getting at is, I mean, okay. So the way I look at this stuff is that these experiences are, if we were in a native culture, would be the shamanic awakenings. Right. By the way, can I just say that uh, you just made it clear that I am a self-hating debunker? But anyway, <laughs> go ahead. You are very, uh, uh, I can't think of the word for it, um, self-detrimental in the book. Um, self-deprecating. Yeah. That's it, self-deprecating. Thank you. Yes. Mixed with arrogance. and, and, and <laughs> That's a lo- the best kind. And a lot of snark. <laughs> yes. And the book is very, very entertaining because of that. Um, well, good. And like I said, it's written in a very conversational sort of way. So you're talking to the reader as you go. So the uh, so I've always taken this stuff as being like it's, it's like a shamanistic sort of thing. And of course, when you get UFO researchers in there who are absolutely certain these are extraterrestrials and they're abducting people for all these various reasons, it's almost like hijacking that shamanic awakening that's supposed to supposed to make you more you, but instead it just instills lots. It, it, it focuses in on that terror and that fear and people don't get past it, which is the thing that needs to happen. And this is a lot of very similar to the stuff you're talking about in this book. Oh, is that my turn to speak? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, I I'm sorry. Uh, I was waiting for a question, but I guess that was the question. That Crap. was the, that was the question. I, 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 I want your ta- I, I want your take on on what I said. I guess. Okay. Um, true. I mean, I I think that's true. Um, but again, I mean, when you look at this, really, the totality of like uh, people who believe the literal surface thing and then build fantasy stories around that, a la evil aliens or space brothers, versus people who look into it deeply. Versus people who um, even stop looking because they realize that that sort of seeking is also in the way of what they're actually seeking, because what they're seeking is outside of thought, out of time, which is only accessed by silence. Uh, you see that this follows sort of the the pyramid scheme of uh, human consciousness, really. Like the baseline of us is kind of fundamentalism, like the most obvious thing that you can figure out. And then up from there are people who understand subtext and metaphors and things like that. And then it gets into mysticism and on and on. Uh, so the base of the pyramid, it is always going to be the largest population. Uh, hence a pyramid. (laughs) And I think that this (laughs) follows that, you know, I think, unfortunately what I'm saying is I think there's always going to be the baseline of the obvious literal thing that we can wrap our minds around, which is it's aliens previous to that it's demons. Um, right now it's aliens. And so demons now what's that? It's also demons now. It's also demons now. Okay. So yeah, you've got like the, the ground floor of aliens, demons, and fairies, I guess. Although fairies are kind of in the ghetto at this point. I, I don't think fairies have very much say in anything. I don't but know. Maybe the, they'll the, make a comeback. I don't know. The, the faith thing is making a comeback because I think it's a little less uh, strict. It's a little more, uh, you know, than the, like the extraterrestrial hypothesis. Like the data 
of people who believed in the fairy faith fits the phenomena better than the extraterrestrial model. Huh. And is that, uh, do you think that that's in, in, mm, does that include non hypnotically retrieved testimony or is it yes. just a yeah. hypnosis story? Okay. Very interesting. But I mean, so there we are. I think we're, you're asking, is that getting in the way of, uh, the more shamanic, Thing that we need to embrace or even the hero's journey or the Jungian thing that we need to embrace, whatever it is. And, um, yes, but also there's no choice. Okay. All right. Cause it's, cause it's always going to be there. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's no talking your way out of it. There's no shouting down cause there's always going to be a new crop of people who are like, Oh, but I think it's aliens. <laughs> right. And they're going to be stuck on that. Not because not necessarily, not because they're stubborn in the way that, you know, like, why are you so stupid, stubborn person? Why don't you see that it doesn't fit? They literally can't see why it doesn't fit. This took me a long time to actually wrap my head around. Can Homer Simpson not know that he's Homer Simpson? And the answer is no. He can't know he's Homer Simpson. That's why he's Homer Simpson. Right. right. <laughs> People who don't know, you know, that they don't know something so deeply can't know until they have an epiphany on their own. No amount of like shouting them down is going to help or, or whining about it publicly is, is going to like magically educate them because there's an aspect of it that isn't to be educated away. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Literally they need to blossom out of it. If, if they, you know, if they do. Well, also, you know, shouting at people generally puts them on the defense and they're less likely to even consider what you're saying. Crap. I wish I'd thought of that. <laughs> I mean, that's, that, that's a good part of the problem with our culture now is that everyone's busy yelling at each other and, and, you know, insulting each other and calling each other stupid. It's like someone calls you stupid. You're, you're not likely to go, oh yeah, I agree. Let me listen to what you have to say. Right. And so my question then is why do we want to do that? Because you can say, uh, oh, this or that media outlet promotes this stuff. And that's true. You can say social media, blah, blah. That's true. But at the end of the day, it's our own behavior. So why is it more appealing to, to, to you and me to be angry and to be fighting uh, than not? And, and that's the thing that we've got to sit with. Well, it's not more appealing to me. <laughs> I didn't mean you and me literally. <laughs> I meant the royal you and me. But I, th I think, again, I think it's that sense of security. Like, I'm right and that, and that makes the world okay. And now you're given I an think, enemy. Yeah. This I person think thinks differently. And so they're the enemy. And so I, I can, I can attack them and it's not hurting me to attack them. I have to win. That's true, but it should feel bad to feel bad. And it should feel bad to make other people feel bad. It should. And we say that it does. And yet here we are doing it. So there is a disconnect in us between what we know to be correct or right or whatever, and what we actually do and how we feel so it'd be interesting. I don't know. I just wish more people would sit with the fact that that um, even though it feels like being hateful or being hated, uh, it feels like that should be more uncomfortable and to fight against the fact that more of us don't and more of us embrace it means that we are. That is our comfort zone. That was somehow we were raised um, to feel like that's how we should be and that that we should always be in a struggle. And, mm. uh, you know, what happens when we stop struggling and just look at that? I mean, <laughs> I guess I'm just a pro proponent of basic therapy at this point for everybody. <laughs> Forget the shamanic journey. How about just basic therapy? But then the therapists are also screwed up. So that's out. I, I don't know what you should do, folks. Just sit silent. I mean, you're not wrong. And then, of course, there are the people who are going to actively hurt you if you don't fight back against them. So, you know, not doing anything also isn't the answer. Yeah, there's no answer. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, when it, when it comes to extraterrestrials, like, like I, I mentioned earlier, you know, they, they seem human. 
you know, in, in most of these cases. But I mean, we could have extraterrestrials here that are so literally alien to us that we wouldn't even recognize them. We may not even yeah. notice them. You know, they, like, and they could be here exploring the planet, looking, and maybe they don't even think much of us. Maybe they're here to see, you know, the octopi or, or the dolphins or something. <laughs> maybe they are the dolphins. Maybe yeah. they are the dolphins. Yeah. But I mean, there could be yeah. intelligent life on Jupiter floating through those gas clouds, but we weren't, we're not looking for it because we don't think of that type of thing as possible. Well, or is it, <laughs> I, or is what you're really getting at, like our self-importance that they have to be here for us. Also, they have to be discoverable to us for them to exist at all. True, true. I mean, that is science, right? Like, if I don't discover it, it doesn't exist. <laughs> and if you tell me it exists and, and what you're telling me isn't, like, repeatable, <laughs> then you're wrong. And it's like, okay, well, maybe there's something here that's actually repeating but not repeatable, and you're wrong, you know? And, you know, we were, I think, off air joking about snowflakes or whatever, you know, how no two snowflakes are ever alike. But snowing is repeatable. So mm. snowflakes themselves may not be, but snowing is repeatable. And, and you These know, so-called I'm, alien abductions and UFO sightings are, are in and of themselves repeatable, but not everything about them repeats. Right. And you know what? I'm damn sure snowflakes are, are not unique. I mean, how can you really say don't that? Don't ruin my childhood. Unless you have checked out every single snowflake that has ever existed to prove that none of them are alike. Yeah. Well, again, this goes to our... To our arrogance and our filling in the blanks. <laughs> um, let's see if we have enough time to cover this. Uh, hmm. We're gonna we're gonna have to do some of this in a in a uh, Patreon segment because there's still a few things I want to talk to you about here. Let, 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 one of the things you talk about is uh, magic not really working, like occult type magic. Huh? And, and you separate this out from the the UFO phenomena. But my experience is it actually started from the magic side of things. And it wasn't until I was reading, I think, Transformation that I said, you know, from Streber that I started going, wait a minute. Like, this is a lot of the experiences I've had, but it hasn't been couched in this alien stuff. It's been couched in this occult stuff. Mm -hmm. But it was the same basic experiences. Yeah. Well, I mean, when, when I'm talking about occult magic not working or it, you know, how much it does work, um, it, I guess I'm talking more in terms of like, uh, psychic phenomena and that sort of thing, like, or ritualistic, um, type stuff. Uh, so some, uh, I guess, and maybe this even gets to the remote viewing of like, sometimes it works, but it works weakly, right? It's not the whole answer. True. True. Um, but it does actually work. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I said it doesn't. No, but I, I feel like you separated it as, as like a different form of thing than than the UFO phenomena, and I find that it may not be. Like, in the end, the, the, the result may be kind of the same. If you follow magic through where you're trying to discover your higher self, your, you know, stuff like this, it's not that different from what it seems like a UFO experiencer is being kind of thrust into. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I think I'm trying to think of what the hell I wrote. This is another one of those. I don't remember what I wrote. <laughs> I do remember the part about uh, I think sort of my my point with the occult stuff is or one of the points is the difference between um, what you get out of that versus, um, you know, if these things are from an, another dimension, what you're getting out of that. So what you're getting out of this universe versus another universe. Um, and in this universe, you get stuff that perpetuates your growth. And in the other universe, you get stuff that shatters you. Um, was that not the context of the occult magic stuff? It might have been. It might have been. I did, I, I did read it a while ago, like I finished it yesterday. What do you think I feel? <laughs> 
Um, so here's what I, here's what I say, and I will bet dollars to donuts. I think this is what you're talking about. Um, that the ratio of alien case reports to non-alien is a near exact match with how many times occult magic actually works. Um, yeah, you did say something like that. Yeah. So, right. And uh, so most of the time, occult magic doesn't work, but every now and then it does. Just enough to keep a portion of us believing in it, seeking it out, and learning it. What I'm posing out of the blue here is this. Thanks to science... We know that 90-something percent of ufological claims turn out to be misidentifications, delusions, and hoaxes. But there are just enough un, uh, unexplainable cases to keep the otherworldly question alive. Um, and that's kind of, I guess, where I'm going with that is, like, it, it's actually, I guess I'm saying it's a lot like occult magic in the sense of um, it doesn't work a lot of the time, but it works enough time to keep us there. It works in just enough to keep us hooked so that it doesn't ever go away as, as a thing that we do. Or a thing that we concentrate on. Um, okay. Right. Is that, which might be the opposite of what you said. <laughs> I guess I, I, I disagree with the fact that it doesn't work most of the time. I find that when, really? you get a, when you get a grasp of it, it does tend to work more often than not. Huh. Okay. It may not so always give you exactly what you think you're going after. It gives you what you need. It gives you what you need, not what you're going after. Okay. Right. But right. would you say that that's true for you? Because um, because you're one person who has worked all this stuff through. In other words, getting back to the consciousness pyramid thing where the baseline is uh, literalism, um, the baseline for occult magic, I would think, are like people just doing stuff. <laughs> Okay. People picking up a book and just doing stuff. Right, and it right, right. Or people who read The Secret and think like, okay, I can create my own reality. Therefore, I'm going to get rich tomorrow. Right, And right. they're still broke. Yes. But you are not in, I guess what I'm doing is is, is shining your butt and buttering you up and saying, you're higher than that, man. <laughs> and so you're rarer than that. And so it may work more for you. Maybe it works more because I'm I'm looking for different things out of it. Yeah, you take it seriously, and it's not just like a fly by night interest. True, true. Yeah, and I All think right. that's uh, far rarer than people who just you know pick up books and try stuff and. Sure, sure. They pick up pretend it works. Pick up a magic book. They try a ritual. Nothing happens. They're like, well, it was fun, you know. But I think even the rituals themselves probably work that way. Like, I mean, I'm just going to assume here, and you can tell me in the Patreon section for people who pay. Uh, whether or not you've actually made a tulpa. <laughs> no, I have not made a tulpa. Oh, that's free. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. So you haven't made a tulpa. Have you tried? No. Do you think that if you tried, you would? I don't know. That's a good question. I bet I that takes a certain amount of something to happen. I don't know if it's skill or whatever it is that pulls something through. I would think focus and it, nothing else, you know, like an intense yeah. amount of focus. But I bet there are more people who have claimed to make tulpas than actually have. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, uh, your book, Aliens, The First and Final Disclosure, uh, where is this available? Everywhere or? Um, everywhere Amazon sells books. Okay. So it's only on Amazon. <laughs> yeah. Paperback and Kindle. Yeah. Okay. And uh, what book number is this for you? Uh, what is it? I don't know. Let's see. Uh, one, two, uh, three, four, five. I think this is six. All right. <laughs> Math is seven. hard, huh? Is I it... think this one's seven. Seven. <laughs> it's very hard. <laughs> and uh, you're still doing Paratopia. I am re-releasing all the old Paratopias and weekly. Um, and uh, every now and then, which is like, this will be the second one, I'll interject something new. So on Halloween, there will be a new one. But, but I'm not, no. I mean, this is more of a tribute to Jeff than anything. Okay. All right. 
Um, where can people find you? You can find me at ourundoing.com um, or paratopia.net, both of which are, uh, you know, they're, they're interconnecting so you can get from one to the other. Um, it, now, I, I could share something with you, but I, I don't know that I actually, I don't know when this is going to air. I have a secret. <laughs> <laughs> this, when the, will this air? The, ear, the earliest anyone's going to hear this is a week from now. We're recording this on the 1st, so like the 7th. Okay, forget it. None of you get the secret, but I'll right. tell you off air. Okay. All soon, right. I'll just tease it. Soon, very soon, everyone, you'll be able to find me somewhere else. Okay. Somewhere, let's just say, well-known. All right. That sounds yeah. interesting. Yes. And I highly recommend the book. I, I honestly thoroughly enjoyed it. But again, it comes with a, a healthy dose of snark. So, and it's not just like a fact-based, like where you're, you're just quoting facts and, and data. You're, you're having fun with this, having a conversation with the reader. Yes. And pummeling them too. So if you don't like getting made fun of, you're probably going to see you in there somewhere. (laughs) And you make fun of yourself plenty as well. As well I should. (laughs) All right. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you. If you enjoyed that, there is a Patreon segment with Jeremy where we continue talking about his book. And if you're not a patron, only costs three bucks a month to get extra content almost every single week. All right, I'm going to take you out with some one-eyed doll. I actually have no idea what's going on with them at the moment. There is, uh, their stuff has been removed from most places. I mean, I have permission to use it, but uh, I don't know. I haven't talked to either of them in a while, and I don't know why their stuff is disappearing everywhere. But uh, you can still find some of it on Spotify and stuff. They're off of Bandcamp, apparently. Again, I don't really know what the deal is, but we're going to hear a brief candle from One Eyed Doll, and uh, I will see you next time.
You have been listening to Where Did the Road Go? This show is made possible in part from our Patreons, and we thank you and everyone listening for helping us continue this exploration of the strange. You can always find everything Where Did the Road Go related at www.wheredidtheroadgo.com. And thank you so much for your support. <laughs>